1: Hello, welcome to the New Books Network and the New Books in Jewish Studies channel. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. I'm honored to be in dialogue with Dr. Kirill Pfefferman. We are here today to discuss his book, The Holocaust in the Crimea and the North Caucasus, published in Jerusalem by Yad Vashem Publications, 2016. Dr. Pfefferman is Senior Lecturer in the Department of Jewish History at Ariel University. It's an honor to be with you today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Uh,
0: thank you very much, Ari, if you And, you know, it's also, you know, a, a big honor and a big honor uh, Uh, opportunity to present my ideas uh, in this uh, podcast. Thank you very much, Ari, for for bringing me here.
1: To begin, please tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life catalyzed the scholar you would become as an adult?
0: Well, I was born in the Soviet Union, of blessed memory, Uh, many years ago. I grew up in Moscow. In uh, as, as usual, Soviet Jewish child, uh, pretty much detached from uh, from his uh, Jewish roots. We did know in the family that there was a Holocaust, uh, and uh, it had kind of, you know it was the Jewish event par excellence. Uh, but fortunately, not no one in our family perished during the Holocaust. The men all fought in the Red Army, and but none of them. Was uh, was was killed by the Germans uh, during the Holocaust, but only It was in the air. Uh, so with this, with that knowledge, I made aliyah to Israel in 1991, uh, and since then, um, professionally, I I, I work uh, in Israel academic setting. I uh, I'm I. I, I I got all my academic degrees uh, in Israel in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem uh, and uh, I still, of course I'm still very much uh, uh, affected by my Soviet upbringing and the and the all this, East European upbringing, Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we are very much affected by, by, you know, by our, our, you know, new new country that we came into Israel and Israeli academic approach. And I don't see any major milestones, you know, which uh, uh, affected or brought me to to engage in Holocaust uh, research. probably and this is my guess is this is a sort of uh, um, of expression uh, of uh, the way of express my my suppressed uh, East European Jewish nat- Jewish nationalism and uh, to uh, m- to remember these events for myself uh, and also to let other people, uh, remember and reflect on these events. Uh, some of the most of them are not widely
1: known to to general audience. What inspired you to write this book? What message do you hope to convey to readers?
0: Um, I found, and my supervisors uh, uh, recommended me also to to look into this area. That this area was uh, generally overlooked in Holocaust scholarship. I, when I say this area, I actually, the main two areas this is the South and Russia, South and Ukraine, South and uh, so, the South of Soviet Union, the Crimea and the North Caucasus. Uh, first of all, it was all overlooked. Second, there are, there are so many interesting and unprecedented events uh, taking place there, even by the standards of Holocaust. Uh, that it does make sense to bring it to 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 general uh, to, to to general public for its uh, uh, for, for it uh, to 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 pass a judgment on. Um, and this was the idea. And uh, well, also, you know, I would say, as a Jewish, I also thought about that. You know, these people uh, deserve to be the people who perished there during the Holocaust deserve to be. Uh, to be remembered my book serves as a sort of uh, of a memorial for, for, for them
1: what are the primary themes in your book what quote-unquote story does your book tell
0: uh, there was uh, there were several uh, topics there one of them is general which is uh, which uh, uh, which is uh, you, you can feel everywhere where the Holocaust took place. Uh, the, the European or Ashkenazi Jews were killed there as anywhere else. Uh, and this sense, these regions, uh, you know, are ordinary Holocaust uh, areas. Now, the unusual story relates to non-European Jews and the ways the Germans try to solve uh, their problem. Uh, the, Put it otherwise to what to try to figure out to what extent they were Jews, uh, with all that entailed at that time, and the ways these people tried to evade, uh, or to avoid, uh, this uh, predicament, uh, and um, how the local population, which was less Slavic and more indigenous, uh, tried to protect. Mm-hmm. The Jew, this or, you know, non-European Jews, or simply remained different, like in many other places. And, of course, since these areas uh, um, host uh, uh, a large Muslim population, this uh, Islamic factor is very important for us, uh, uh, you know, to understand how local Muslims uh, were involved uh, on. You know during the holocaust uh, you know uh, either as perpetrators or bystanders or helpers.
1: what would you like listeners to get out of our interview today
0: um mm, to to what to, you know to to let more people know about the the events i would say that it is very important especially since uh you uh, war is, uh, is is waged, uh, is has been waged now in Europe, and uh, uh, probably people in the West hear uh, some geographical uh, names uh, for the first time uh, in their life. And uh, by bringing this story to them, uh, this old story is uh, half forgotten, we just try to, uh, to tell them that other events, no less tragic, uh, had taken place there, you know, not so long ago, by the way, uh, and um, probably it will they will better understand the complexities of uh, of the Jewish Holocaust.
1: What forms of torture and humiliation were perpetrated against Caucasian Jews and Crimean Jews? Can you provide mm. some examples? Where, when, and how were atrocities perpetrated?
0: Yes, um, of course. the 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 the, the basic uh, the most basic uh, uh, you know kind of atrocity was the, the very fact that these people were killed. Uh, they were generally killed by shooting, uh, not transported uh, like all other Soviet Jews. They were not transported to extermination camps and killed uh, on, on the ground, very, you know, quite you know, quite uh, close to the place where they, they lived. Uh, now, um, there were uh, um, considerably less cases of rape or sexual violence uh, with respect to Jewish women and girls because the Germans took, you know, you know took care not to engage in this kind uh, of activities because of their own racial laws. Uh, but uh, when no one saw it, when there were less witnesses, uh, and when all uh, well, the witnesses were local guys, uh, you know, they they were sometimes uh, uh, ra- there were some rampant cases of uh, sexual violence. Uh, I would say. Unheard of uh, uh, elsewhere in, 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 during the Holocaust. With, for example, with uh, when uh, you know just before the executions, when uh, they were um, dogs involved. You know, terrible stories, uh, and the German executioners were drunk and, and you know, it's it's, it's it's simply unbelievable. I, I found this evidence uh, in the. Uh, Post war uh, um, pro- legal proceedings against uh, um, the Nazis and their and uh, those uh, accused of uh, of doing it uh, in West Germany. So those were you know pretty you know, reliable legal documents. And now and uh, mm, children quite often uh, were poisoned, not to death. And not, uh, not, not, they didn't uh, get bullet. Uh, But so the basic, uh, the most basic form of humiliation was the very act of killing. The period of time where where that uh, 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 allocated for Jews to live in in these areas was, uh, you know, from several weeks to one, two months. It's much less than what we are used to uh, in in camps, uh, in big camps or in ghettos. So this short story is uh, is much shorter, uh, but it's a bit more condensed.
1: Is anything distinct about atrocities committed against Caucasian Jews vis-a-vis Jews elsewhere during the Holocaust? In what ways did Caucasian Jews suffer differently than other Jews during the Holocaust?
0: When we say when we talk about the Caucasian Jews, we should. uh, differentiate between uh, the uh, indigenous Caucasian Jews, the, which are quite often uh, referred to as Caucasian Jews or mountain Jews, uh, and the European or Ashkenazi Jews who came there, and settled there. Now, with respect to European Ashkenazi Jews, this story is as tragic as uh, anywhere else. Uh, and... Um, Mm, the let say the maltreatment uh or, or, or that practice by the germans uh, with respect to them was more or less you know as anywhere else probably even less because uh, the, the very period that they were allowed to live was was shorter uh, and uh, the German the, uh, killing machine didn't stumble. They came in every locality and killed everyone they could find. Uh, and then, you know, there were combing operations. They came again and again were looking for people and found people. And now the story of the indigenous Caucasian uh, Jews uh, or uh, mountain Jews is different because uh, after the first uh, uh settlements of, of where they lived were, were exterminated, were wiped, wiped away with their inhabitants. Uh, then the Germans came uh, across really big settlements of mountain Jews numbering several thousand people. It's a big number for, for, for the Caucasus. Uh, and um, there, the Caucasian Jews with the, with with the help of uh, their local uh, Muslim helpers, were able to um, explain to the Jovans that they had nothing to do with the Jews. They were a local tribe. That may probably practice a religion that has something in common with Judaism, but it is not Judaism. And rationally they are not Jews because they don't look like Jews, like European Jews. And the uh, where the killing machine stumbled, it was a very bureaucratic state, I mean, in Nazi Germany. They started to send inquiries to Berlin. Uh, Berlin uh, started to ask academy, uh, German academy, who were these people? And as a result of this protracted inquiry, they were now killing in the meantime. And in the meantime, the Red Army was able to take this region back, and these people were spared. Largely, not, you know, I would say probably 70, 80% of mountain Jews uh, or Caucasian Jews were spared during the Holocaust. Thanks to this inquiry, thanks to their to their their intuition, and thanks to the protection of the local uh, um, Muslims whose uh, help was uh, and uh, involvement was really appreciated by the Germans.
1: Can you narrate the chrono the chronology of events that you record in your book? What was the course of events in the Holocaust in the Caucasus and Crimea?
0: Yeah, chronologically, uh, the story, of course, begins in in of uh, fall nineteen forty one, when the German armies in two separate uh, um, in attacks uh, penetrate the North Caucasus and the first area, they uh, they t- took over in the north Caucasus is a part of the Rostov district uh and uh, there was uh, the Jews were killed uh, anywhere uh in this area but the, the major German attack in 41 in the direction of the North Caucasus was repelled the German army had to stop there it didn't advance further in in uh, fall 41. Uh, Yet they were able to uh, penetrate, to attack and penetrate and uh, um, occupy almost the entire Crimean Peninsula in summer 41, uh, thanks to Soviet uh, blunders and the military genius of the German commander-in-chief, General Er Erich von Meinstein, uh, probably the best German strategist during the war. And uh, the Crimea was, uh, occupied with the exception of a small area around the city of Sevastopol, which remained in Soviet, under Soviet control in, in, uh, by, by November 41. And by mid-December 41, all the Jews uh, were killed. They, to put it otherwise, uh, the army was as anywhere else, was followed by the killing squads, who, you know, who ended, I, that identified and killed all the Jews. And there were quite a number of them in the Crimea. It was a very important uh, area of Jewish settlement uh, before the war. And despite the fact that some of them managed to evacuate or escape, uh, a significant number, probably one-third of them or even one-half of them remained and were, 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 were killed. I have I have only finished the story of 1941. The story resumes in 1942, of course, and in 42 this is the story. Uh, the story mainly uh, relates mainly to the Caucasus, when the the entire almost the no not almost the big part of the uh, Soviet North, North Caucasus was uh, taken over by the Wehrmacht. Uh, and uh, the German armies uh, stopped more or less in Chechnya. Uh, and uh, to the uh, west of this line, the Jews were killed uh, in almost every place, with the exception of those uh, settlements of mountain Jews that I have already mentioned. And uh, again, the army was followed by the SS, who, who with the, would reinforced by local collaborators like in the Crimea and uh, the annihilation was uh, was total
1: how much did Caucasian and Crimean Jews know about Nazi and fascist atrocities perpetrated against Jews elsewhere and against others elsewhere what were the sources of news and information available to them to learn about events taking place? In the holocaust elsewhere to what degree were they aware of events taking place in eastern and western europe in ethiopia in north africa in vichy france how much did they know about the holocaust as it was being carried out elsewhere
0: well the major source of uh, information uh, in the soviet union would be dev- this source was uh, uh, either uh, official uh, information uh, f- that was brought from this, uh, from the, the, you know, government-controlled co- con- uh, uh, outlets, uh, or uh, rumors that usually came with uh, or were brought by refugees. Uh, in this sense, uh, both regions were, uh, were, I mean, the Crimea and the North focuses, were pretty much uh, periphery. Uh, it means that uh, Mm, Only local newspapers uh, were accessible to local population and uh, only in big cities, uh, smaller cities and in villages uh, did not get this information. And of course, those Jews who lived there, and quite a number of Jews lived, especially in the Crimean rural areas, so they didn't know much unless this information was broadcast by by radio. And it didn't happen too often. The information was available in newspapers. It was not highlighted. Uh, Even the facts that you mentioned the Holocaust elsewhere, not all necessarily within the Soviet borders. Vichy, less North Africa and Abyssinia, but Vichy, uh, Yugoslavia, all this was mentioned. You know, the fact that the Germans focused on the Jews was um, both highlighted and not highlight and not highlighted. Uh, we should also keep in mind that uh, by the time the, the the Germans invaded the Soviet Union, June forty one, uh, there was no the, the final stage of the Holocaust did not occur yet, uh, and so know what even you know. Even, uh, you know in, for, for, in the Soviet propaganda, they couldn't write about the uh, total annihilation of the Jews because it simply didn't take place. Uh, things do start to change after the start of the invasion, and uh, um, the information does reach uh, Soviet population, including Jews in the Crimea, but we should keep in mind that it, it all depends on where on their whereabouts, whether they uh, lived and to what extent they read newspapers, Uh, and uh, now uh, the the situation was uh, different in the Caucasus because uh, it was a major route through which refugees escaped. Uh, and refugees from Poland, for example, or rec- refugees from West Ukraine, West belorussia Russia. And it does mean these people are, are remained aware for a lot of time that they, they came there, they frequently interacted with the local population, including Jewish population. And the very fact that they escaped was meaningful because uh, local Jews could uh, could understand, even without questioning these refugees, that something something big is going on. After all, such large scale population movements in the Soviet Union were unthinkable before the war. People who who left at their own volition. Uh, so this was a new uh, a very important source of information available only in the Caucasus. Through Crimea, this respect was a, it was a minor evacuation route through non-Crimean Jews flew, uh, flat through it. So uh, in this sense, it was, uh, if you wish, uh, a bad place to live in if you want to get exposed to a good source of of information.
1: You alluded to the mountain Jews earlier on. Can you tell us about the history and social characteristics of the mountain Jews? Where did they live? How did they evolve historically? What is known of their history and customs? Are any of their writings and teachings still in existence? Can you say more about them?
0: It's a very interesting uh, Jewish group. Uh, and the their own story uh, you know, maintains that they belong to the so-called Lost Ten Tribes. Uh, this is, of course, debatable. Uh, but uh, historically, they seem to care ke- to come to the Caucasus. I mean, both North Caucasus and Trans-Fuc- Trans Caucasus uh, through Iran, uh, and their language uh, has uh, common characteristics with uh, with Persian language. Uh, and um, historically, this group seems uh, to have split. Into those who uh, who uh, continued practicing Judaism uh, and those who adopted uh, local religions, mainly Islam. Uh, now, but they remained quite a number, dozens of thousands of uh, Caucasian Jews uh, living in this region. In the Caucasus, broadly defined, uh, now um, they were part of local population mosaic and. Um, lived pretty well as far as we can judge uh, with with their neighbors, Um, mm, they were very much detached from major centers of Judaism uh, and uh, travelers, mainly western travelers who came there uh, for the first time probably 19th century, mid-19th century, when the area was more pacified, and it was well. It became a relatively safe to travel in the region. They took notice uh, of this group because it was very unusual, uh, and uh, they visited their houses and they noticed. For that they call themselves Jews, uh, but in sharp contrast to the rest of the Jews that you know, these travelers got uh, used to seeing. Uh, they didn't know Talmud. Uh, put it otherwise, uh, probably, and this is the case. Uh, the guess because they were detached by these high mountains and by this, uh, by the very fact, it was a very violent region to live in. Yeah. Uh, They were not exposed uh, to to Talmud, and we can, you know, surmise how long they were detached from the major centers of Judaism. At the same time, at the second part of the 19th century, century, uh, there became an interaction between these communities and uh, Ashkenazi Ashkenazi Jews, mainly Lithuania, uh, and mountain Jews started to send their uh, talented uh, boys to uh, Lithuanian yeshivas and uh, so this community became uh, more engaged uh, and uh, by the end of the Tsarist period they even had uh, a rabbi who came uh, to them from uh, from Jerusalem. This was a Sufadi rabbi, not Ashkenazi. Uh, so it started to evolve into a, an ordinary Jewish community uh, by, by the standards of contemporary Israel, they, we have uh, here uh, dozens of thousands uh, uh, of mountain Jews. Another mountain Jewish community, by the way, lives uh, in America, in New York. Uh, so, the, by the standards of the contemporaries, Israel, uh, Israeli political uh, religious division, they are regarded as Oriental Jews.
1: How much can you? How much did mountain Jews suffer? During the early decades of some of Soviet communism, how did they cope with the Russian Civil War, the Russian Revolution, and the decades that transpired between the Russian Revolution and Russian Civil War and the, and the Holocaust?
0: Well, in many respects, mountain Jews, like many other minorities. Uh, failed pretty well in the pretty in the pre-war period in the two decades preceding the the, the Great War uh, because they were uh, regarded as a privileged minority and, uh, uh, and you know they were advanced socially within the program which is referred to in to in the West as a Soviet a Soviet affirmative action. Uh, now so these people got land free land. They've, uh, you know, they've got uh, promoted uh, in education, uh, in employment, uh, like other Soviet minorities, I must say. So in many respects, we can say that not only did they not suffer particularly, uh, but they've uh, uh, benefited from Soviet rule, free war Soviet rule. At the same time, having said that, we should understand that like anyone else, they did suffer from the soviet uh, the iron hand of the soviet regime uh, terror uh, purges all this stuff of course uh, uh, had had a big impact on on them like on anyone else uh, but uh, you know so but the, so in this sense this uh, the picture is uh, more or less balanced uh, they you know the but, but we should keep in mind uh, that you know it was not only about being uh, uh, you know, about suffering. It's also, you know, a story of uh, of a huge social advancement in the pre-period. Uh, uh,
1: what forms of plunder did Nazi Germany engage in in the Caucasus and Crimea? What was stolen and taken? Who were the victims? What has become of their property? How much is known of the fate of Looted objects,
0: mm, e, like anywhere else, the German army and its soldiers, of course, were involved in plundering uh, Jewish, in, in looting Jewish property. Generally speaking, we should say that uh, the East Europe, including its Jewish population, was much poorer than Central Europe or Western Europe. So even German, the German soldiers, were banned on looting there was much less that can be taken from them. Uh, now, it doesn't mean to say that nothing was taken, not at all, but uh, so the, there were no objects of art, for example, and no, you know, no uh, much less gold or valuables that could be taken from Jews. Um, on the whole, uh, the Jews uh, were, you know, were deprived of uh, Mm, their uh, gold, their um, jewels, their um, and gold. We, you know, we, we are talking about, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, objects made of gold, but also gold, uh, golden teeth, like anywhere else, uh, which were taken from the corpses of those who were uh, executed, uh, and personal objects like watches. Uh, which were almost immediately after the execution uh, were taken from from the hands and uh, uh, awarded to those who took part in the executions. Uh, In addition, of course, Jews uh, had uh, some uh, property, uh, houses uh, or apartments. This property was uh, routinely transferred to uh, to, uh, local pe- to local people, uh, uh, s- uh, identified with the local regime, who supported, uh, who supported the local regime, so it was a kind of a reward uh, for them uh, to them, given to them for their involvement uh, uh, on the German side, uh, and um, the same took place also in the Caucasus. I say, I would say that in the Caucasus, the Uh, dimensions of plunder were bigger because uh, a significant part of the Jewish population uh, killed in the North Caucasus was made up of refugees who came there from more prosperous uh, western regions of the Soviet Union and refugees, uh, by virtue of being refugees, they take all their uh, stuff, including all their valuables, with them. And uh, this is, and and, and uh, this, uh, this, they, they, the Germans, you know, found it at the very last moment when these people were executed. So uh, they were richer. This, uh, the average Jew uh, killed in the North Caucasus was richer than the average Jew killed in the North, in the Crimea. Uh, of course, but of course we should say it's uh, where, uh, when I speak about richer or poorer, so by the Soviet standards, it was a very poor region, um, and as compared to to Europe, even East Europe, uh, beyond the Soviet borders, uh, so people were much poorer. Uh, but still you know they were they were planted and their property was was looted uh, you know on a very actual uh, on an unlimited scale
1: have any pieces of property been recovered
0: uh, I know of very few instances uh, when uh, the sum of the fortunate people who, of Jews who came there, uh, who came back uh, in 1944-45, identify occasionally uh, some personal objects, uh, were, were, you know, in the hands, in the houses, so of other people, they could bring it to the attention of local authorities, and sometimes Things uh, you know, it, it does. You know, it, the, the, there are there are some consequences, uh, and uh, the, you know, at least these people are, are forced to bring these objects back to Jews. But it's very rare, very rare, and uh, the, you know, the, the very exceptional case. In other cases, however, uh, the property the the property that was taken from Jews uh, was was returned to them. Uh, probably not all the property, but part of their property by the authorities. Yeah, I would say it had let it had less to do with the fact that Jews uh deserved uh, the you know from the authorities' point of view uh this uh, property, uh, but uh, the authorities didn't like that local people, are strongly identified with the German regime, uh received these properties. So this was uh, the, the the one. Uh, you know, the the one list of, one order of priorities for the government. So, and they, you know, in these cases, they acted in in Jewish favor.
1: Can you comment on massacres of Jews in the Caucasus between
0: 1939 and 1945? Mm, So, the, the, they were, uh, uh, the major massacre, uh, massacres took place uh, in 42, in uh, 1242, uh, when the German armies uh, occupied a significant portion of the part of the North Caucasus. And uh, everyone was, uh, was killed, every Jew that the Germans were able to identify was killed in general to the uh, uh, execution sites. Uh, and the specific assigned time and f- was killed. Uh, and uh, we are talking about uh, several killing operations that took place in September '42 uh, in, in the area around, around Soviet uh, reserves um, in the cities uh, like uh, Kislovodsk or Minerali Vody. Uh, and um generally jews were assembled and brought to this area and killed in one day in order to make things easier logistically for the germans to to kill them uh, it doesn't mean just it doesn't mean that you know jews the jews were not killed prior to this point or after this, po- this point but uh, the, it was uh, it was then it was not a, a, an individual kill, kill an operation and people were simply killed uh, next to the house they, they used to live in um so the the, the major time uh, in the major place is uh, september 42 uh in the around the city kislovsk I and mean, rather than
1: in what ways did women suffer differently than men among Jews in Crimea and the Caucasus?
0: In many respects, this uh, the Holocaust in this uh, area had uh, much more impact on women than on men, because men, very many men of draftable age were involved in the army. Uh, it was a compulsory draft, of course. Uh, and uh, as a result, the, the army withdrew them or they killed uh, in action, or they fell into jo- captivity. Even if they killed, if, if they were killed, uh, we don't count them as the victims of the Holocaust in this specific area. But some of them were fortunate and they were spared; They were not killed. And now, so w- what remained: the women, children. Uh, and very elderly people who didn't escape. So, in very many escape, these uh, the demographics, uh, the demography of uh, of uh, of the Holocaust in this area uh, indicates that Jews, the uh, the women, sign of uh, of uh, overwhelmingly overwhelmingly killed uh, because they were simply, as I said, less men. Um, now, in So, it was uh, uh, the the predominance of women among uh, the Jews in these areas also gave them uh, some uh, chance uh, to survive that men did not possess, and mainly because because, uh, how did the uh, process of identification whether a person was Jewish or not, uh, was was carried out. Uh, it was uh, mainly, uh, it had mainly to do with the physical examination. And uh, Jewish men were uh, uh, identified uh, quite easily for obvious reason, by, you know, because of circumcision. I will say a couple of words about it a bit later. But women, if they were fortunate and didn't look Jewish, well, of course, we're talking about stereotypes, but these stereotypes are pretty much, uh, you know, influential at that time, ha- had a lot of uh, impact at that time, and uh, very many people were killed of, 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 you know, who were Jews or who were suspected of being Jews were killed because of these stereotypes, even if they, they, they were no supporting documents. Uh, so, if uh, with some Jews, Jewish women were able to uh, convince uh, Germans and local collaborators that they were not Jewish uh, and uh, they did have a chance by virtue of with, with women also we should keep into mind that uh, the collaborators and the Germans in charge of the of of the Jewish question were men and sometimes we can we don't feel if I, I, I don't think that you can find it in the book but I do find you know, traces of it uh, in some testimonies that sometimes uh, an interaction could, an an interesting interaction could take place between uh, an interrogator, Russian interrogator or German interrogator, and uh, a Jewish woman. And uh, sometimes, pretty rare, but still there was a chance, a slim chance, but still, uh, that, you know, this... um, the the Germans and collaborators in position of power um, displayed um, how would I say it? Not tolerance. It is of course not a proper word. Um, did not push it to the end, uh, and uh, I attributed to this uh, to this gender factor. Uh, and of course, this gender factor did not work when the. Uh, when the when the person whom they are was a man, uh, and uh, so this is a story, and uh, this is a, I would say story where still very many things are not known to us, uh, and um, mm, there may be more revelations over time in this area, in this uh, field. And so, but generally speaking, of course, uh, we're talking on the about survival, you know. Very marginal figures of survival, even with all you know with this or uh, with all these uh, specific skills uh, that some Jewish women uh, displayed. It, the survival uh, rate was extremely low uh, in these regions, extremely low. We're talking about you know one uh, you know less than one percent.
1: How was food consumed during the Holocaust in the Caucasus? What was eaten? How did famine and malnutrition play out?
0: Uh, these were both areas, by the way, that were impacted before the war by the Soviet famine, white famine in early 30s. Uh, and uh, we can definitely speak about Holodomor, uh, you know, even though where this, regardless of the fact whether it was, uh, it, it had something to do with Ukraine or not, but it was, uh, the, the, the results were more or less the same, devastating. And now, mm, so uh, mm, people, uh, food was in short supply in, in the Crimea, especially. Uh, and um, because, uh, in terms of agriculture, it was a, a deficient region before the war, and when the Germans came and uh, took over uh, the remaining uh, food reserves, uh, the food was even in, in shorter supply. Uh, and uh, the German idea, uh, it was, of course, the deliberate po- po- policy of starving the local population, and when the Germans realized, and realized in the Crimea, the the population will simply may, may simply revolt, the, mm-hmm. it, you know, or definitely it won't be friendly towards them because it, it it was being it 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 was being starved to death. Uh, they changed this policy, but in the meantime they use the uh, this pretext that there is no not enough food for everyone, and uh, uh, first of all the food should be supplied to the right, then to the left, and only then what what, uh, what is left to the local population so there was the, for, from the German perspective there was not enough food for the local people and uh, the result was that these people uh, someone uh, had to go to disappear literally in order to leave more food for the rest. And of course from the, the German uh, priorities were such that you know Jews were the first in this list of the undesirables who had to, to, to you know to be to get to, to, to disappear uh so this argument about the uh scarcity of food supply was used uh, in the crimea to get rid of the jews uh and uh, of course it was uh, you know this argument didn't hold uh, didn't fall water because uh, uh, it was it was a handmade famine again the Germans simply did supply food to local population and the, which uh, uh, resulted uh which brought, brought uh, this famine and um, now in the the situation was different because uh, it was a famous and famous Soviet region where with the abundance of uh, food uh, much warmer uh, there is a lot of grain, for uh, um, fruits and vegetables, which, which are literally growing on trees. Uh, so even though the Germans, like anywhere else, took over the remaining food reserves, there was still plenty of food available uh, in fields on the trees. And Jews, like anyone else, could, could, take, could, could use this food in order to provide uh, for, for their families in the meantime. So there was no famine in, in the Caucasus, even when the Germans took, uh, tried to take everything they could. And so this food argument uh, was of no use, uh, was irrelevant in the North Caucasus when the Germans tried to justify the extermination of Jewish population uh, in this specific region. Uh, the food was, I would say, generally it, it relates both to both regions. Was uh, um, uh, it was uh, um, we are talking about wheat? Uh, we are talking about uh, bread of poor quality. Uh, some meat in the in the Caucasus and much less wheat uh, in uh, in the Crimea. Uh, fish in both regions. Uh, and uh, but uh, generally, we're talking about the uh, so-called Starvation, you know, especially the Crimea. The Crimea, from the German perspective, was uh, regarded as the uh, it was designated as a Starvation area. This was a, the area from the German perspective that, uh, that whose population was supposed to to diminish drastically. They were simply, from from the Nazi perspective, too many people living there. Uh, And uh, they did apply this policy, and uh, it brought about some results. Uh, In the Caucasus, the the Caucasus was spared from this horse. Uh, um, And uh, in this sense, the uh, food was uh, more diverse uh, uh, and was simply more available. Um, And uh, if in the Crimea, a Jew, a wandering Jew, could uh, survive during the months of the German occupation uh, by wandering around and uh, gathering this food that, as I said, uh, was growing on the trees, literally. It didn't work in the Crimea, because nothing, you know, did... First of all, the German occupation was much more protracted, and second, you know, the winters are are, are much more severe, and, you know, much less uh, was growing there of the trees. Uh, So, this was the food factor
1: what were the consequences of the holodomor stalin's killer famine in the ukraine upon the caucasus and crimea how were jews impacted
0: well first of all we should say as i said you know the holodomor does you know you know does have a lot uh, in common with what uh transpired in those regions also because uh, it borders on ukraine or Ukraine or Ukrainians were part of the local population mosaic, uh, but back to the Jewish story. Um, Crimea fared relatively well in the 1930s, uh, or it, uh, to put it more exact, uh, the Jewish Crimea fared relatively well. Not because they there was no starvation, but because at that time a Jewish rural population and a significant part of the Crimean Jews lived in the countryside in so-called Jewish villages. They were were supported by joint or agro-joint, the American Jewish money that, you know, that were invested in and uh, continued to be invested in these uh, Jewish villages. I can say, tell you on a personal note, that my, my own family or grandmother's side, they lived in one of these Crimean villages. So this is also my personal story. They can't. You can't say they did, were flourishing in the 1930s. No one was flourishing in this at this at this time in the Soviet Union. But they did manage to survive pretty well. There was no hunger. Uh, even to the best of my knowledge, in the Crimean cities and in the villages, the situation was even better. Especially the Jewish villages, thanks to the support of the American uh, reverend. Uh, in the Caucasus, the, the, the results were really devastating, like probably like in the Crimea, like in the Ukraine, Ukraine itself, uh, and uh, uh, because of the fa- because of famine, because of uh, like anywhere else, uh, the uh, people who were skilled, uh, he was he, 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 with with Adam, you know, in um, working land, uh, they were arrested, they were deported, uh, uh, and. Uh, there was a huge devastation uh, in, in the region, which once boasted of being a major uh, Russian production area. Uh, so, and in the 1930s, there was a real starvation, and local people starved, uh, suffered enormously. Uh, so, in this sense, even though it was a, a relatively blessed region in the sense that you know, by you know, nature itself gives uh, gives a lot of food people in this region learned to appreciate food uh, and uh, learned to live uh, learned to um, um, to eat less and to you know to um, to um, have more reserves for food stock uh, because you know they uh, you know they, they, it, 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 the hologram war it took place only with they all remembered it Uh, So, in this sense, these regions were a bit different, probably not even a bit different, different.
1: To what degree did children suffer differently than parents and adults during the Holocaust in Crimea and the North Caucasus?
0: Mm, The big story, I would say, in this respect that I should mention is the story of orphanages. a, w- there were quite a number of uh, institutions, uh, all, all of them run by the state, uh, that existed uh, in, in the pre-war Crimea, and uh, some of them were relocated or evacuated to the Soviet hinterland, and s- including by that the time in the North Caucasus. North Caucasus by 1942, by the first part of the uh, 42, was regarded as a safe area. So, they were removed from the Crimea and brought into to the North Caucasus and swept uh, quite, almost all of them were swept by the second uh, German attack in summer 42. So, there were Jewish children uh, in these orphanages uh, and, and uh, when the Germans came, it is major, mainly a Caucasian story. They were they they were pretty much they uh, they learned pretty quickly that they were orphanages uh, and there may be Jewish children placed there. Uh, so the story is uh, you know is uh, is going uh, it, go, it goes it goes on uh, as follows: German officers uh, arrives uh, in such an institution, talks to the principal. And asks him whether you have whether he had Jewish uh, children. And he says, you know, please give me the list. Uh, if not now, I can get back tomorrow. Uh, and uh, then uh, a principal, sometimes assisted with by some members of his staff, decides who will be placed on this list. And generally, we should say, of course, that, you know, he did have uh, uh, this information at his disposal, uh, because in Soviet Union, everyone was required, the the information about ethnicity was an essential part of what, uh, of uh, of, uh, population registration. Uh, So, and the next day, the German officer came uh, with uh, with soldiers, uh, and they took the children. Uh, And uh, sometimes... Uh, Some nurses, and I don't know any cases about the principals being involved. Nurses did feel that something wrong, something terrible was going on, uh, and spared one or two Jewish children, let them escape from the orphanages, and then they simply had to survive uh, on their own in the region they didn't know at all. Probably the only uh, the only instrument that they had at their disposal in order to survive was the language. If they spoke Russian language or language without accent, they did have some chance. And of course, if they did look Jewish, to look Jewish in this region was a big problem, like anywhere else. The only thing that could help them probably if they could pose as uh, Caucasian or as Oriental people, something that could account for 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 their um, looking non-Slavic uh, or you know, for their circumcision. Uh, so it was a big gamble. The survival, uh, the 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 survival rate was still very low, but there was still chance. But generally, the uh, especially small children depended on the goodwill of these principles, and these principles mainly took care of themselves.
1: What was the role of the Romanian military in Nazi and Axis military operations? in the Caucasus and Crimea can you just de- can you describe what Romania contributed to Nazi and Axis conduct in these regions
0: well the Romanian army was involved uh, in uh, fighting in these wo- in these two regions uh, it played a subordinate role it- Put it otherwise, uh, they were uh, the German uh, staff decided where these armies, where the, these Romanian units uh, would be sent. Uh, but they, of course, they maintained some degree of autonomy, and there were areas, uh, entire areas, where they were in charge, uh, also in charge of the local Jewish population. Uh, they had some skills, for example, in mountain warfare, uh, and were instrumental in in. Uh, in German successes, both in the Premier and the and and uh, mm, and the corporates, I would say that the German army the German German army strategists in these regions were not too appreciative of uh, of, uh, of Romanian uh, military strength. Uh, they were regarded uh, generally second rate soldiers, uh, and. Um, With some degree of, you know, it's not without um, not without reason, Uh, but of course the racial factor did play a major role in the German uh, uh, appreciation of uh, or non appreciation of Romanian role, Uh, and um, with uh, so, but they were instrumental. You know, there were simply not enough German uh, forces in many many areas. There were uh, these areas, especially the Caucasus, was a huge one. So it, it, the, the German's of, uh, the own German, um, manpower was always uh, not sufficient to maintain co- efficient control uh, of this uh, region. So the, 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 the Romanians' were, 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 you know, role was cruel in, you know, in filling in these gaps. Um, now, the Romanians, were, you know, they had a, a particular role to play in, in the interaction with the Jewish population. Because uh, by many standards, it's not only a a Crimean or Caucasian story, it's a general story of the Holocaust in the East, so to say the Soviet Union, uh, that um, Romanian soldiers were um, uh, uh, more corruptible uh, than the Germans, uh, and they were more eager to take bribes uh, from the Jews, uh, and the Jews... Quite quite quickly realized it, uh, and but what is striking is that Romanian soldiers frequently did something in return. Uh, it's that you know it, it is uh, to put it otherwise, uh, the German soldiers, it, even officers, also took bribes from time to time that did nothing in return, uh, and the Romanians, this is a, you know interesting topic, did something in return. They could pretend to that could send them to, you know, not to their destruction, but to, you know, to invent some sort of forced labor for them in the meantime. So, this bribe could uh, be a way to factor in delaying the death verdict. Um, and the German, there are plenty of German reports where, where they they, are compl- they were complaining of this uh, German or you know, Romanian a complacency of romanian uh, predilection for bribery, bribery for bribery uh, but the other side of this uh, um, uh of this inclination if the german uh, reports are taken for granted is that you know if there were uh, more chances uh, for Jews to survive in the areas uh, uh under german under romanian rule uh, even in these rare areas which were under uh, general German control.
1: What role did Romania's army play in atrocities against Jews in the Caucasus and Crimea? To what degree were these coordinated with Germany? To what degree were these actions undertaken independently or volitionally?
0: Mm, it is more difficult to answer this question because uh, mm, the Romanians, starting for from '42. From early 42, um, declined to record the the involvement in the in the actions against the Jewish population to put it on paper. Uh, now, what we have is the testimonies of the remaining Jews, something that comes from the local population, and uh, so by juxtaposing these sources. It looks like that uh, the Romanians uh, were generally not involved in anti-Jewish killing operations, uh, because there were simply enough German forces to do it. The Germans preferred to do it alone, in so-called, so to say, in the orderly manner, uh, and didn't rely on Romanians in this respect. And now there were quite a number of cases of plunder of Jewish property. Uh, relatively speaking, and, and also rapes, rape of, women, of Jewish women and girls. This did probably, it was from the Romanians, it was regarded as a sort of bribe, uh, but uh, these atrocities did take place uh, on a relatively small scale as compared to the to the areas uh, and the cases where the Germans and the local collaborators were involved. Uh, and but uh, with respect to the conduct of military operations, the Romanian army was pretty much involved. As I said, it was uh, uh, an efficient force, especially in mountain warfare, and uh, uh, in the was uh, was was active in fighting uh, in the Crimea, especially.
1: Can you comment on the geopolitical significance of the Caucasus and Crimea? What resources were of interest to Nazi Germany, what was the nature of Soviet Nazi competition over such resources? How did the Caucasus figure into Nazi grand strategy toward the Middle East and Central Asia? How did it figure into war plans against the Allies?
0: Well, the Caucasus, of course, was particularly important uh, because, uh, because, uh, of its, uh, geographic, uh, geographical location, uh, been uh, um, been in possession of very significant, most significant oil reserves, uh, that belonged to the, before the war to the Soviet Union, and the German, uh, Germans, of course, wanted, uh, to grab, to to, 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 you know, to, to grab it. Um, actually, Hitler mentions, uh, the Caucasian oil which at that time was basically available both in the North Caucasus, but even more in the Trans-Caucasia, uh, in the area around Baku, Azerbaijan. So the thrust towards this, in to, 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 this to the south, in order to uh, advance and to take to, to capture Caucasus was regarded as a major goal of the war, of the entire war uh so in this sense the North Caucasus was a a, a, sp- a springboard to to the Caucasus and of course the entire Caucasus, even though it possessed a value in its own right, it was also a springboard to the Middle East uh, to in the south to the south of uh, Soviet Caucasus land, uh, uh Iran, a country whose population and government was were pretty pretty friendly to, uh, to, towards Nazi Germany uh, before 1941 before this country was uh actually de- occupied and uh, taken over by the soviets and the brits uh so the germans did hope to find a friendly reception in this area even beyond Iran. of course the entire middle east was regarded uh, i would say with with a and uh, justly so as a region uh friendly disposed to nazi germany uh, and um In this sense, the Caucasus was particularly important, Uh, and uh, hence the importance of the North Caucasus. Uh, The the big, what we should keep in mind in this respect, is oil. It was probably the first big war uh, for sources, and oil was the major resource. The major source of German oil was in Romania. And it very quickly turned out that uh, there was not enough oil uh, in Romania to, uh, uh, to keep uh, German war machine rolling. Uh, and uh, Romanian, uh, but still, uh, and here, we, here comes the importance of the Crimea, uh, even this uh, major uh, uh, reservoir of uh, Nazi Germany's oil could be threatened by the Soviet Union by their long-range uh, airplanes that could fly from the Crimean airports. So, in this sense, uh, the possession of uh, uh, of the Crimea with its airports was absolutely essential for the German for Germany uh, to you know to maintain warfare. This you know it, it, to 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 protect its uh, the its only uh, major. War or oil reservoir, um, and uh, besides the Crimean Peninsula had a strategic importance because uh, actually it uh, the possession of this peninsula enabled the country uh, that controlled it to uh, control probably a significant part of the uh, Black Sea uh, and even Turkey and to exert influence on in Turkey. You know, the Turkish neutrality was a big factor of that time. Who would be able to exert more pressure on Turkey to force it to join the war on its side, either on the Axis side or on the Allied side? And um, for the Turks, it was, of course, a big factor that someone, you know, with the, who controlled the Crimean Peninsula could threaten them immediately. Uh, it was, you know, a weighty factor of persuasion. Uh, so it was a big political game around this. So it, around these uh, regions uh, and uh, which, uh, you know, goes beyond the immediate strategic values, value of 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 the Caucasus, of the Caucasus and North and the Crimea.
1: How did Nazi Germany's ideology perceive the Muslims of Central Asia and the Caucasus? And also of the Crimea, how did Nazi racial ideology perceive Islam in general and the Turkic, Tatar, Caucasian Muslims in particular? How was this different vis-a-vis the perception of other Muslim communities, such as Arabs or Bosnians or other perceptions of Muslims?
0: So from uh, from the Nazi stand standpoint, uh, stand uh, the um, uh, Caucasian Muslims or Crimea Crimean Muslims, we are talking about uh, the Tartars, uh, mainly uh, belong to Turkish people, and Turkish people were you know were not placed particularly high on the Nazi Russian uh, uh, ladder, uh, but actually at the very bottom a bit higher than the slavs but not you know not not much higher Uh, and uh, still by the way they were higher placed higher than the arabs which were were semites uh, very close to jews in this sense and uh, so the attitude towards uh, uh, the turkish talks and the turkish people were um, pejorative but you know not uh, considerably better than uh, than to the towards the Arabs um Islam was a, a different factor it um, it had some uh, uh it it was interwoven to some extent with the racial ideology but it was a different factor um because uh a, it was a religion religion, is, you know brings with it a different set of considerations, not ethnicity, not race. Uh, so Hitler himself had a very positive attitude towards Islam. It was regarded as a, gay, a great religion of war. He even expresses uh, not once um, his sorry that the, the, historically German tribes did not embrace Islam and instead embraced Christianity, which was not a real religion of war. Uh, So I would say uh, the fact that um, quite a number of uh, Oriental Soviet people, including those living in the Crimea and the North Caucasus, professed Islam uh, was a good point from 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 the Nazi's point of view. Um, now, and they did try to capitalize on a wide, uh, large-scale discontent uh, among uh, Soviet Muslims uh, because of the pre-war uh, Soviet persecution of religion, including Islam. Uh, and Germany, of course, presented itself as a major protector of, uh, of all religions, more specifically Islam, against uh, godless uh, Soviet ethnic godless and jew, uh, Jew-dominated jew Soviet regime. So this factor was uh, w- was used. We can argue about uh, the degree of its success, but it was a factor in German propaganda directed at, uh, at the Soviet uh, Turkish people professing Islam in both regions. To what degree
1: should terms like tatars muslims and islam be thought of as singular entities or plural entities what were the different subgroups among them how did culture geography language and religion differ among caucasian and crimean muslims how did these differences impact their views of soviet russia and nazi germany
0: mm this uh, um, this uh, factor that, you know, the Tatars and Islamia can be applied uh, best as one entity towards the Crimea, because in the Crimea, there is actually one big ethnicity, uh, the Crimean Tatars, who profess, uh, that profess uh, Islam. Uh, and uh, in the, in contrast, in the Caucasus, there are very many ethnicities that profess this religion. Uh, sometimes uh, they are tossed with each other. Uh, and um, the only thing probably that unites them is their religion. Uh, now, um, and we don't have one big ethnicity uh, that profess, uh, professes Islam in the Caucasus. Um, now, to what extent can we say, speak about Islam as a factor? At that time, it's a big question because uh, twenty years of Soviet rule, with its uh, ag- with uh, with their aggressive promoting atheism, uh, did ha- did take its ro- toll on the attitudes of local population, which became, especially, we're talking about the younger generation, much more secular. Uh, the religious institutions were destroyed or clerics were expelled or killed, uh, and uh, the regime succeeded, I'm talking about the German, Soviet regime, succeeded to no small extent uh, in convincing the local population, especially the younger one, that religion is um, mm, is outdated. No, it doesn't give answers to contemporary questions you know it's, it, it could, could be it was I can give you an example when the German Army uh occupies uh, these regions and quite a number of uh, people of uh Caucasian uh, uh, ethnicities uh, uh, are interrogated in camps by the German officers who want to to to, to um, Enlist them uh, to to solve the German-sponsored units. So th- one of the questions they were asked, you know, what is your attitudes towards uh, Islam, towards our policy of uh, granting a religious freedom uh, in the newly liberated uh, regions of, for example, in your home region? What do you think about it? And these uh, POWs ever, you know, or even you know, uh, understood, you know, what they, you know, what they expected to say, and still. Uh, the quite often the answer looked like that, you know, Islam is a great thing. you know we really appreciate what uh, the new government uh, does for, for in this respect. And my grandfather would definitely appreciate it. And so the, 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 the office the German officer was really you know surprised to hear something. he asked, him, what about you? See, you know, it's just a kid, you know. I appreciate it. Probably, it is important culturally at most, but it has nothing to do with me. So the Germans, in this sense, greatly exaggerated the um, the extent of uh, of um, of uh, religious fever on the part of the Soviet Muslims. They were, in many respects, especially the younger generation, secular Muslims.
1: How did Turkey respond to Nazi conduct in the Caucasus and Crimea? What was the nature of German-Turkish relations at various phases of World War II? How did Turkish-German relations unfold and evolve? And how did events in the Caucasus and Crimea impact the relationship between the two? So Turkey definitely
0: felt uh, this cultural affinity with the Turkish tribes. Turkish people living in this region. It's this is historical process. It didn't begin in 1941 or 42. Uh, historically, these regions even belonged to the Ottoman Empire uh, for, 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 for centuries. So these connections did take place. It didn't. Uh, it didn't. Uh, uh, it didn't go away with the Russian uh, occupation or Soviet occupation or Soviet uh, Soviet rule. Mm. Of course, Turkish circles, even in secular uh, Turkey, did hope that these uh, ties, historic ties, uh, can be restored one way or another. Uh, and they were, these people, this uh, affinity with the local Turkish people was regarded as an asset in this long um, struggle between the Russians and the Turks. Um, the Germans did try to play this factor by explaining to the Turks that now we are going to occupy this region populated by people with historic uh, ties to you. And probably, it you know, you can have a role in administering this role in their ministry, administering these regions uh, and taking care of your people. The Turks were extremely cautious. I could say the, that means that you know, uh, overtly, it, in you know, in, in close talks uh, with the Germans, they did say it's a great thing. We we hope for further collaboration, and you know, of course, under your protection, uh, we have no doubt that these people, this our our people, will flourish. We hope that eventually the younger generation will be sent either to the German universities or Turkish universities, uh, to to detach them from the soft Russian influence, uh, pernicious Russian influence. It was but uh, in public talks, they were very reserved. It says they said they, they kept neutrality because no one even 1941 and 42 knew exactly how these, uh, the, how the hostilities would end. probably the, the Soviets uh, could be victorious. And they will never forget, you know, that this that so the uh, talks um, broke their neutrality. Uh, so and the talks, uh, you know, played uh, played this game um, in a very delicate way. Uh, I think it looks like they did convince the Soviets that they were entirely neutral. Uh, but uh, uh, the Germans did appreciate the connect- these connections. The very the fact that the, uh, the former vice chancellor uh, was um, von Papen was placed as a German, uh, the, the person who had a, 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 a power to. Uh, of um, of reporting directly to Hitler it was placed as the German ambassador to to Ankara was very meaningful, it, you know. And the German Germany were also playing a very delicate way with Turkey, so uncharacteristic for them in the Second World War. It was a rude power, after all. It you know didn't take into consideration the interests of other countries. So, but in Turkey it was entirely different. You know, too much was at stake, uh, and. The Turks seems to seem to have appreciated the German, uh, I would say, delicate approach towards Turkish people. They are cultivating their culture. They are cultivating uh, uh, religious uh, renaissance. Even though Turkey under Atatürk was a it's entirely secular, aggressively a secular country. But still, Islam was regarded as a sort of, if you wish, a civil religion, in the sense. So it was a big game also going on uh, on this front, too. Uh, And especially in 1941 and 42, when Germany seems to be that close to winning the war, at least on this front.
1: Can you tell us about righteous Gentiles who helped Jews during the Holocaust in Crimea and the Caucasus?
0: Mm, There were quite a number of people uh, recognized by Yad Vashem. By the way, uh, for years, I was a member of this commission to designate writers among the nations, so I know what I'm talking about, you know, firsthand. Mm, So they were overwhelmingly uh, secular, other way put it, otherwise they did not come from the ranks of the church, uh, the uh, or churches. Uh, they were very often uh, ordinary people, um, not people in the position of power. Uh, neighbors. Sometimes uh, they were members of the extended family. We're talking about the so-called mixed families and uh, sometimes Yad Vashem does recognize uh, these non-jewish family members as writers. uh mm, now uh, uh i don't remember any case when uh, the rescue was made uh, because of ideology the, you know very important uh motivation in West Europe, left ideology. So in the Soviet, at least in my region, so to say, the Crimean North Focus this factor was not at play. uh, Even though uh, a number of uh, communist members of the Communist Party, ideologically driven communists, uh, did help Jews to survive, even though they were not recognized as righteous. it's, sometimes we have uh, people who uh, mm, were uh, formerly part of the um, ad- Collaboration Administration uh, but it was proven beyond doubt that they were not I- involved in the atrocities against the Jews or other people uh, and it all, was also proven that they helped Jews. Rendered them a critical, great critical help. As, as a result, they were recognized. In order to uh, get this recognition, people, uh, uh, potential candidates, should boast uh, not of uh, of uh, helping Jews, but also of uh, not being involved in any other acts, uh, you know, of atrocities, especially against Jews or any other people. Uh, in, the, in terms of ethnicity, the, the major path of survivors in the Crimea and the North Caucasus are Russians. Russians or Slavs, broadly defined. The distinction, differentiation between Russians and Ukrainians in this region is not too visible. Uh, and But it... it um, reflects the general demographic composition of these two, two regions. Uh, the Russians constitute a majority. So it, it, it makes sense that they also constitutes, uh, right. constitute a majority among the rescuers. Um, the major part of rescuers were, also were women, uh, and, which is also, it does make sense in terms of ge- geography and demography because uh, uh, we, we, a lot of men but non-Jewish men were also in the army, like Jewish men. So, these were the women simply constituted the majority of uh, of, within the remaining population. Uh, And regarding the motives, it is um, very tricky. In some cases, we're talking about uh, people, simply had no no previous contacts with these Jews, uh, whom they rescued later. Sometimes we're talking about colleagues uh, who used to work in the same place before the war and uh, has professional connections and helps this, uh, this this good deed. Uh, sometimes, I would say not even sometimes, quite often we are talking about very poor, extre- even extremely poor people uh, who open uh, doors and let Jews uh, hide in their places. Uh, It is very characteristic, generally speaking, of East Europe, where material factor or a factor of material reward play any role because the region was so, so poor, you you know, and people did, you know, literal altruists uh, and uh, did good deeds for nothing. And for no special reason, and not, you know, for no, for no, and, and we didn't expect anything in return, and didn't receive anything in return because Jews were as poor as their rescuers. Um, um, there were some, however, some cases, uh, I would say, notable cases when uh, local non-Russians, uh, Tatars, or, or Caucasian Muslims uh, were involved uh, in the rescue. Uh, After the war, even in in our time, uh, some of these cases were highlighted uh, because of local politics. Uh, Today it is, uh, um, let's say, um, in many regions, uh, not necessarily in in East Europe, uh, uh, it... um, make sense politically to, uh, to highlight such cases. Uh, uh, I would say um, it is debatable to what extent uh, such uh, large-scale array and very much publicized rescue did take place, but probably the very fact that this topic uh, is uh, being discussed today is also positive. Can you comment
1: on... The role of Orthodox churches in the Caucasus and Crimea. How did they respond to the Holocaust? How did they respond to the Nazi presence? What were their perceptions of Soviet rule and Stalin? How have Orthodox churches attitudes and education policies changed and evolved? What differences were there and are there between Orthodox churches in North America? And Europe in the West, vis-a-vis Orthodox churches that were locally located, can you comment on this?
0: Yeah, uh, this is, you know, very. It was a very unique sense in this, uh, uh, with respect to the uh, um, uh, developers within the Russian Orthodox world. This uh, was the Orthodox Church was Russian, of course, by definition, uh, in, in this region, especially. And now the church was relentlessly persecuted by the Soviet uh, atheist regime in the two decades preceding the war. Uh, thousands of priests were killed. Their churches were demolished or converted into clubs, into stor- storages, and whatever you want. And uh, uh, even devout uh, Christians were, were persecuted and sent to Gulag. Uh, I would say the Russian Orthodoxy may be the primary victim of the Soviet uh, terror. Um, And uh, I would say in this sense, it should come as no surprise that the Soviet regime was not particularly uh, popular in uh, Russian Orthodox uh, circles. Um, And uh, the Germans, of course, capitalized on this large scale discontent uh within the church within uh, the world of devout people uh, belonging to the Russian orthodoxy uh, and proclaimed absolute freedom of religion uh, which applied to any religion well, of course with the, with the exception of Judaism uh churches uh, mosques uh, everything was opened uh, and uh, uh, even almost freely practiced. Uh, The Germans didn't win in the content of uh, sermons. Uh, Of course, the role of Hitler, the liberator, should be mentioned. The the role of uh, godless uh, uh, atheist judo-bolshevik regime should be also mentioned. But as for the rest, uh, it was a paradise in many respects for Soviet orthodox clerics because it was a freedom. They could, you know, Deliver servants, they, they could uh, educate people, children especially, uh, and uh, no one arrested them and sent them just because they were priests. Uh, so the new regime, occupation regime, was very much popular uh, in these circles, even though some of the true priests, no doubt, felt, uh, uh, you know, they were taught, they, were, they felt they were. In the tone between the allegiance to the church and the ethnic allegiance of uh, the Soviet or Russian people, whose country was, after all, at war with Nazi Germany. Uh, in this sense, uh, the persecution of Jews, which was a major point in domestic policy uh, uh, conducted by, by the new regime, uh, was... Uh, sometimes welcome by by the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, installed and maintained by the new regime, uh, because uh, the the priests uh, and the church more broadly felt obliged to this regime for the religious freedom they they enjoyed. And some of them genuinely dislike Jews, we should not forget it. Uh, It is a long story that predates even the Soviet regime, you know, this is the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, and Jews was never was was never a love story. Um, now uh, and the, the particular special point about the the, uh, the uh, relations between the church and devote people in the Soviet occupied uh, occupied Soviet areas and the Germans, is that uh, in very many respects uh, the Germans brought them religious freedom, um, and they, they desperately needed. And um, so many of them felt quite grateful to the Germans. And if the persecution of Jews was a part of this uh, uh, um, of this uh, deal. Uh, you know, we give you the freedom and you should approve of all our actions, including actions and as Jews, it was okay for them. Especially uh, if uh, if it went in concert with their pre-war anti-Jewish sentiments. And having said that, we should say that there were other priests who, even if they were supportive generally of the German regime for what it, uh, for favors, uh, it lavished on the church. Uh, felt reservations about its attitudes towards Jews for humanitarian re- reasons, for of on Christian grounds, uh, and uh, some of them provided shelters shelter to Jews. Uh, some of them were instrumental in uh, in baptizing Jews, even though b- baptism was never recognized by the Germans. It was no, you know, it indeed it, 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 it didn't guarantee survival uh, uh, at all. But still, it could give you some, it could give uh, some, you know, could, they could provide some, provide some certificate, even though, if revealed the priest would uh, would pay de- dearly for such a certificate. Uh, now, but if for some members of the collaboration administration, such certificate could play a role, it never convinced the Germans, but the collaborators was sometimes a different story. Uh, the... Um, Anti-Soviet stance and pro-German stance and anti-Semitic stance was even more conspicuous in the North Caucasus, which was especially anti-Soviet region. I would say it stands out in the whole Soviet uh, er- area as a particular anti-Soviet region, Parti- anti-Soviet, uh, which can be interpreted as pro-German and anti-Jewish, yeah. uh, so the church people were delivered sermons, you know, which uh, can be characterized as especially anti-Semitic, even by the standards of occupied Europe, and uh, they called on uh, on their on you know those on Christians to support the new rule, to to praise for the German victory, and of course uh, to to. Uh, uh, to to help uh, new administration uh, uh, with everything it does. Sometimes the Jewish uh, the Jew, Jewish factor was mentioned, sometimes it was omitted, but everyone understood what it was about. Uh, so um, it's not you know it's uh, it would say um, it is not uh, it's not uh, a case of North American Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, uh, self-reflective Christianity. It was a, a case of a very militant one, which only recently um, revived thanks to the German, uh, the arrival of the Germans, uh, and um, it. So the the there was a case of also a split edges. Religious allegiance, as I said, versus ethical allegiance, and in many ways, quite often they were supportive
1: of the German rule. What were the dynamics of Karaite relations with Nazi occupation forces? What lessons can be derived from these phenomena? Is there any evidence of Karaite Jews being harassed or abused or deported to concentration camps? Is anything known of their fates? At the same time, your book also records examples of cooperation and collaboration between local Karaites and Nazi occupiers. What were the consequences and ramifications of such conduct for the Karaites?
0: Uh, I would say that uh, both communities, uh, Jewish uh, community and Karaites, uh, went uh, each went its own path. Uh, for years, for centuries before the, the Holocaust. Uh, and I, I'm talking, of course, about Eastern Europe, and Car- the Crimean Peninsula is simply one of the areas where this uh, divergence of paths uh, uh, took place. Um, so when the Germans arrived in, in yes. uh for very many uh, Crimean co Mm, this was uh, a different story. I mean, something that took place with the Jews, took place with them. It has nothing to do with us, and we should ensure, to make sure that it won't have anything to do with us. Uh, and it, it also makes sense, because, you know, we're not them. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, mm, uh, I see so at the leaders of this community, uh, informal leaders, of course, because in the Soviet Union, it, you know, this community was not run as a separate religious unit in, entity. I quite quickly realized that the best way uh, to um, convince the Germans uh, that they have nothing, the Karaites have nothing to do with the Jews, is to show them absolute loyalty. Uh, and like you know, in this sense, the Karaites were not an exception to the rule. Everyone behaved like that. You know, the it, it was a case of either if you uh, uh, provide an absolute loyalty beyond any doubt, or nothing can be taken for granted. Uh, and uh, this was the the caravates cast their lot, and um, the uh, they aligned themselves entirely with the new rule, with the new regime, uh, uh, or oh, play. Uh, oh, Taking uh, some roles in the new administration, it was uh, they were relatively educated by Crimean standards. So when the Jews left, there was uh, a, a demand for positions where education you know, was needed. Uh, they did play some role. I wouldn't exaggerate this role, but they were, they were involved. Um, I don't know of any cases when they were uh, deported uh, as carriers. Uh, of course, they were not deported to, to camps because, uh, especially in extermination camps, because in the occupied Soviet areas, the procedure, the protocol was much simpler. People were, you know, the, to transport them to camps was a long story. It was too expensive for the Germans. So people were, you know, the, the Germans usually got rid of uh, all the sus- suspects very close to to the, to the places where they were seized. Uh, so um how uh, large this community was able to survive to survive uh, uh and to survive at the time as I said the only way to 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 ensure survival was collaboration uh and uh, the, the, the one can probably some people here and there could uh, could uh Find this middle-of-the-road approach. But as a community, there was no way to, to do it. You know, no one would accept it. it, it, it the Germans would never accept it. Especially uh, because they had their own reservations about the car raids, and they conduct their own research about them. Uh, the Germans who were in charge of the Crimea, consulted with the Germans, uh, you know, with the SS administration in Berlin, the SS administration consulted with the, with the academy, and everyone had, uh, you know, no one was sure who were these guys. I'm talking about the Karoids. Uh, so they fed much better, by the way, than other uh, suspected groups, because uh, their religion uh, looked, in the German eyes, much better than the Judaic religion. They didn't, you know, they didn't embrace Talmud, which was regarded as a, a yardstick of, uh, of Judaism. Uh, still, they seem to have uh, accepted Old Testament. It didn't bode well for them. Uh, and regarding ethnicity for the German uh, experts, they didn't look like classical uh, East European Jews. They looked more like Oriental Jews, so there were more questions than answers here. But still, they, we can't say that the Germans had no doubt about them, and they, there was an, an ongoing investigation even after the uh, first, you know, in, you know, they were not included in the first uh, uh, killing operations uh, um, that took place in December forty-one. So, it the city, so the result was that this uh, courage community had to constantly proved to the Germans they were beyond doubt. So it was not a a one-time procedure. They had to do it on a permanent basis to collaborate every day uh, and uh, as a community. And uh, this was the price people had to pay to pay for their survival. Um, And uh, in this sense, we can also say that this was a, a particularly lucky community Because generally after the Soviets came back, they settled accounts with everyone who was even only suspected of having collaborated with the Germans. And here, strangely, the big brother seems to have overlooked that one of you know its its people did collaborate with the Germans. Probably not in the, you know, was not involved in the killing, but still, still. And the carroids were spared. Uh the and uh, unlike any many other people who peoples who were who were involved what, one extent, to one way or another and were punished collectively. So this is the story of the Karaites.
1: Were there any detention camps, internment camps, labor camps, concentration camps in the Caucasus or Crimea? Alternative, alternatively, were there any camps in Europe that Jews from these regions were deported to?
0: There were camps in both regions, both both of these regions, uh, not extermination camps. Uh, All the extermination camps were were placed in the German-occupied Poland. Um, There were labor camps, uh, camps for prisoners of war, large camps for prisoners of war. Sometimes there was, uh, you know, an overlap between these two camps. So one section of the camp was populated by prisoners of war, the other by, by labor prisoners. Um, so, sometimes Jews, for example, Jewish prisoners of war, were placed in these camps uh, alongside all other non-Jewish prisoners uh, and had sometimes to survive. The survival rate was very low in these places, not because the Germans uh, killed uh, prisoners every day, but, you know, they simply didn't provide food and people had to walk every day. So it, it turned out it was a sure sight for, for, for people to to die slowly. Uh, and uh, generally, very quite a number of suspects were placed in such camps uh, until further notice, until the investigation in their respect was, uh, was finished. Uh, and um, these camps were routinely guarded by local collaborators, so quite cruel was but still those who could be bright uh, this was a difficult, there was a crucial difference between local collaborators uh, uh, and, and the Germans in this sense uh, and uh, so uh, to uh, to make a long story short uh, non-estimination camps did exist uh, the um, especially for prisoners of war, uh, because uh, prisoners of war were, were not killed en masse, and uh, especially starting from forty-two, from early forty-two, um, and some Jews even managed to survive there, of course, under you know, you know, the opposing of uh, as uh, as uh, other people as non-Jews.
1: What kinds of atrocities were perpetrated against Mountain Jews in particular? We discussed them earlier on in our conversation. What, if anything, was peculiar or particular about their fate? In what ways did they suffer, if at all, differently than other Caucasian and Crimean Jewish communities?
0: Well, the first of all, they were killed. You know, the first uh, the first waves of uh, of extermination uh, um, applied to them. Uh, they were uh, Caucasian, you know, Caucasian Jews. Uh, yeah, indigenous Caucasian Jews uh, in the Caucasus, uh, and the, 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 first settlements, uh, uh, the first settlements were, were wiped away by, by the Germans in August-September '42 in the Caucasus, and there was even one uh, uh, Caucasian Jewish village uh, in the Crimea. It was also uh, wiped away uh, with all its inhabitants in, in March '42. Uh, so killing was the, the the most basic way of atrocities these people were, were confronted with. Uh, in addition, those fortunate uh, ones who were spared uh, still faced forced labor and um, what we call in scholarship uh, open ghetto conditions in uh, in, in two big localities in North Caucasus. Uh, so ghetto curfew uh, forced labor, uh, plant of their property, or uh, and the, the disguise of uh, of uh, presented gifts to the German, to the Germans, uh, but still no murder. Or let's put it mildly, uh, no indiscriminate murder. Uh, there were killings here and there, uh, but uh, not uh, total extermination unlike the case
1: of uh, European or Ashkenazi Jews. How were Jews in Crimea and the Caucasus impacted by the massacres and pogroms perpetrated against Ukrainian Jews during the Russian Civil War?
0: Mm, in the Crimea, the Crimean Jews fared relatively well. There were no pogroms uh, in the Crimea during the Russian Civil War, even though, though the, the region was very unstable. Uh, sometimes the Reds were in charge, sometimes the Whites were in charge, sometimes the local government the local government was in charge. But still, there was no there were no pogroms, at least l- large scale pogroms, characteristic of the Russian Civil War in Ukraine. Uh, it, or oh, the Civil War in Ukraine. Let's put it this way. And now um, in the Caucasus, uh, there were likewise no big pogroms, uh, because militarily this was a stable region. Uh, it was always under the White control. The Reds, Red, Red came there. Red came there uh, only late during the, the very end of the Second World of the Civil War. Uh, and um, so these specific regions, paradoxically, um, were spared the worst forests of, of the of of the for the Jews of the civil war, uh, and uh, in this sense, the indigenous you know, Jews who you know came from these regions did have this uh, painful memory of the civil war programs uh so, but they were, of course clearly constituted a minority, a small minority as uh, as compared to the to the millions of Jews who lived uh, in Ukraine. Uh, so it was they I would, to, I would say to make a long story short, they personally did not face it. But uh, provided they have relatives in Ukraine, and I, I assume almost everyone had a relative in Ukraine, uh, they did know about the atrocities. That, but simply these atrocities took place elsewhere, not in these specific
1: regions. Can you tell us about the social demography of Crimean or Krimchak Jews? Where did they live? What was their population prior to World War II? What are the statistics regarding their deaths in the Holocaust?
0: Mm, As of 1939, we're talking about something like 65,000 Jews altogether uh, living in the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, And uh, to that we can add uh, up to 6,000 Krimchak Jews or Krimchaks or Krimchak Jews, uh, the, the, it was a, a more urban than rural population, even though quite a number of Jews up to 25% probably uh, lived uh, in countryside. The you know, Some of them occupied uh, positions in the local administration, uh those who living in rural areas of course were involved in agriculture uh and um uh, mm, uh, cream chucks were a less advanced uh, a less advanced Community than um, European Ashkenazi Jews uh the and uh, they would uh, particularly benefited from Soviet rule like mountain juice in the North Caucasus uh and they were advanced uh artificial if you wish uh, uh, by by the local government within the framework of so-called affirmative, Soviet affirmative action policy uh even though of course we should not exaggerate the, the this uh, a level of uh, of, uh, Soviet affirmative action uh, applied to this community, but relatively the fact not bad, Uh, and they advanced uh, significantly in the uh, pre-war, in the two pre-war decades. Um, It was a more traditional community. Uh, We're talking also about the number of children, for example, a language, uh, local language uh, 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 taught, Uh, In the family, taught and spoken in the family, Uh, and more traditional, more traditional, and uh, the Crimean Jews were relatively advanced in this sense. That means uh, it means they they spoke more Russian and less Yiddish, looked like uh, in many respects like a local uh, Slavic population, and. even though the, you know, rural Jews were, you know, more conservative, more preserved Jewish tradition, Jewish language, and so on.
1: Can you tell us about the social and physical geography of Sebastopol? Can you tell us about its history before World War II? What happened in Sebastopol during 1939 to 1945?
0: Yes, yeah, Sevastopol is a, you know, is a major Russian military port uh, harbor in the Black Sea. It was also always a city in its own right, quite uh, independent from the rest of the Crimea, uh, because it was a major base of the Russian Black Sea fleet. Um, now, for that reason, by the way, uh, Jews were not allowed to live in the city in its vicinity before the Russian Revolution. Of 1970, uh, the situation, of course, changed after the ad- advent of the, the Bolsheviks, uh, and um, a, this uh, city was uh, and still uh, was was governed by the army or by the fleet, uh, and um, there is as, and as a result. Uh, uh, People who lead, who settled there, had something to do with the army or with the fleet. The, the members of the of the of the military, uh, members of the um, family of the military, uh, they worked for the army uh, one way or another. Uh, and uh, mm, I would say this was a particular militarized area of the Crimea and where. Security checks were conducted uh, uh, considerably more often than elsewhere in the Crimea uh, because the Soviets were suspects like the Russians before them were suspected was were suspecting of anyone trying to you know to try to, to learn about their military secrets. Uh, so this is a very I would say uh, interesting uh, uh, region with within a very interesting region.
1: We discussed Karaite Jews earlier on. I'd be curious if you could say more about the relationship between Karaite and Rabbinite Jews prior to the 20th century. Can you comment on the dynamics of the intercommunal intercommunal relations between the two communities? How did they change during and after World War I? How did they unfold during World War II and during the Holocaust?
0: So the relations were strained to put it mildly, and uh, we can probably speak about by the end of the 19th century about two different communities. Uh, the Karaites uh, in the Tsarist Russia was successfully able to convince the imperial Russian authorities that they were in a, communi- in a community in its own right that had nothing to do with the Jews. As a result, in 1862, 63 probably, uh, they were granted a full civil equality. Uh, in the Russian Empire, something that Russian Jews could only dream about and never got. Not in 1862 and never late, no, not later. So the it, 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 it turned into you know, full-fledged Russian uh, full-fledged subjects of the Russian zone. uh Unlike Jews who were and remained second-rate, uh, second weight sec- second second rate uh, subjects. And, uh, since then, we have uh, a very uh, high degree of um, uh, integration of the Russian community, of Russian com- com rates, uh, uh, in all parts of the empire, Crimea, Lithuania, uh, into the local society. They were very successful uh, in industry Um, kind of sharp mind as as, as people, and achieved uh, significant success, uh, many successes, especially given their small size. Uh, It should come as no surprise that, you know, in the Russian Civil War, for example, this community was firmly supportive of the whites, of the conservative whites, whereas the Jews as a community were, were, were firmly supportive of the Reds, So these communities were fighting by and large on different sides during this uh, big divide. Uh, Of course, the civil war brought uh, uh, the civil the, uh, the aftermath of the civil war. Uh, brought uh, about a rapprochement between the two communities. They were merging into something big and amorphous called Soviet people. Still ethnic divisions uh, of uh, previous di- re- religious divisions are uh, taking their toll. Uh, but uh, they were for the first time where there were intermarriages between the two communities, something which you no know, which was not recorded for centuries. Um, because it was no longer based uh, on uh, religious lines. Uh, and so um, this was the background against which uh, we should see the events of uh, of the Second World War and the Holocaust. Uh, and um, in the Crimea, especially in the Crimea, when uh, some people belonging to the new generation of young generation of the Karaites do not feel some, you know, is that uh, de- death extent of extran- estrangement from the Jews as their forefathers did. Uh, so, in this uh, in this regard, there were some cases of survival and rescue on the part of the Karates, who, as I said, were spared from the Holocaust. Uh, and uh, something that, you know, one can hardly imagine, given the divide between the two groups, No, only 20 years before it.
1: How is the Holocaust remembered in Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Crimea, and the Caucasus today? How was the Holocaust remembered or forgotten during the Soviet years and in the post-Soviet and post-communist years? How has Holocaust memory changed and evolved during the 1990s and 2000s?
0: Well, in the Soviet era, the Holocaust uh, was submerged into the tragedy of all Soviet people who suffered, according to the official narrative, uh, enormously uh, and more or less uh, equally uh, from brutal German rule. Uh, And the the narrative uh, maintained that everyone suffered, everyone, and the Germans more or less targeted everyone. Probably it was not highlighted, but mentioned on in person. The Germans uh, targeted Jews more than anyone else. But you know, after all, you know, in such a big tragedy, it's not a good thing to uh, to try to to uh, to emphasize your own victimhood at the expense of someone else's uh, suffering. So the idea was to you know for it, it, it was I would say. Living aside anti-Jewish undertones or overtones, it does make sense for a multi-ethnic country not to emphasize something that can bring about more ethnic uh, or other divisions. Uh, especially, but if we add to it uh, a Jewish factor or anti-Jewish factor, It makes things even more complicated because the Soviets, after the war, had a big big issue with the Jews and the Jewish world and the Holocaust was a Jewish issue par excellence. So, for them, it didn't make sense at all to emphasize something that could give more points, could be capitalized by the Jews uh, and could strengthen or empower them. So this was a story that uh, was uh, uh kept going for post-war decades until the country collapsed in nineteen ninety one. Since then, they we have different countries with their own narratives. Uh, the Russian narrative, uh, um, of course, differed from nineteen nineties to to today to Putin's era. Even Putin's era is not the same. You know, they were something. Uh, you know, they were. Uh, something that took place twenty years ago and something that is going on now. The of course, uh, for the first time, it is, it you know, it, it started uh, taking place already in in the nineteen nineties. Was mentioned even by Russian officials as a part of the general tragedy. Uh, it was uh, it rose to prominence in the under Putin. Who repeatedly emphasized that the Jews suffered enormously. Uh, we all suffered, but the Jews suffered enormously. Probably he doesn't say more than anyone else, but he he does emphasize Jewish suffering uh, as a, you know as a unique phenomenon in its own right. Mm, in the Caucasus, North Caucasus, which was uh, a Russian and East Russian territory, the, Caucasus, the mm, Holocaust is remembered. Especially in the areas where uh, uh, exterminations, uh, extermination sites are located, for example, the Rostov district uh, uh, and uh, Stavropol district, um, it is uh, remembered as a you know by, by thanks to the efforts of the local Jewish organizations. They, I would say the local authorities are pretty much reluctant to to support this initiative. Probably they do it uh, because uh, the central government demands them to do so. Uh, and uh, but the local population, I would say, if it can be separated from the local administration uh, reveals understanding some, some of them uh, uh, it takes part uh, in memorial activities. Mm, and these memorial activities are taking, I don't know what, take place on a relatively large scale. By the way, the unique feature of the memorial activities in this area is, is a very high degree of de- de- involvement of the Russian Protestant organizations that work in concert with the Jewish organizations. Uh, an entirely unique phenomenon for this, uh, for this region. Uh, Now, uh, if we're talking about Transcaucasia, that is three new states, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, um, they had their unique uh, stories and unique approaches that sometimes have some in common with the Russian narrative, but generally it is a different story. First of all, we should of course say that, you know, the Holocaust did not take place there. The German army more or less stopped on the uh, today's russian uh, georgian border, it didn't advance further southwards. So it is there for them, it is a story that took place elsewhere. And if they do take, you know, they're involved in commemoration, this is a commemoration that uh, takes place, for example, in Canada. Uh, with, the, with respect to events that took place somewhere there. In, uh, uh now Georgia was uh, to the best of my knowledge uh, did uh did play some role you know, but you know you know this this was a very turbulent uh, region you know they were war Civil War there in the 1990s and uh, it was a very unstable region I and uh, I, I never heard about some state sports major events uh uh Uh, taking place in this country. Uh, But, as I I said, to their credit, it should be said that, you know, they they had many other contemporary big issues, for example, their uh, war with Russia, uh, that, you know, of course, they are more pressing for them than remembering the Holocaust of the ethnic group that took place even not within Georgia. uh, Azerbaijan uh, has its own Jewish community, big Jewish and flourishing community until today, uh, the biggest Jewish community in the region. Uh, it maintains very friendly com- uh, attitude, uh, com- uh, relations uh, both with the Jewish community and the state of Israel, uh, and at least in the last twenty years. Uh, and uh, Holocaust uh, mem- commemoration uh, does take place there uh, from uh, the last year. It even received an official blessing from uh, from uh, from when the country recognized the 27th of January as uh, uh, as a Holocaust Memorial Day. So it is a part of all this uh, international or European effort to commemorate Holocaust. Uh, Armenia is a more difficult case to analyze because um, to the best first of all I never heard about the big uh, Holocaust um, commemoration events. Second, there was an extremely small Jewish community there. Uh, it, was, it was always very insignificant in terms of numbers. now it is even, even smaller. Uh, in addition, they had have their own conflict uh, with Azerbaijan, which is no doubt more pressing for them than the Holocaust of a, a very small ethnic group that took place elsewhere. And in addition, they had a very, I would say, um, problematic story of um, commemorating their own share in the Second World War, because one of the um, important uh, ideologists, uh, uh, um, who um, took place? Who, who was? Uh, uh, who, you know? Who took part? Took part in the Second World War on the part of the Germans was uh, an important uh, anti-Jewish uh, you know figure, uh, and uh, who promoted its own ideology. And so the Armenian story regarding the Jews, the Holocaust, uh, is uh, not as simple, as not as, as linear as the other stories. To that, we should also add the never ending competition between the Armenian Genocide and the Jewish Holocaust. The Armenians uh, demand the recognition of their genocide as genocide by Israel and Jews and the rest of the world. And um, the rest of the world, including Israel, uh, persist in rejecting and uh, not giving them this recognition for a variety of reasons. So this competition, you know, this rivalry, if you
1: wish, should be also kept in mind. As we bring our dialogue to a close today, what are you working on next as your current research? Can you tell us about where your attention has been devoted to? in recent time.
0: Yeah, my, my, you know, the topic I I devote most time to uh, recently is uh, the fate of the Jews uh, under Japanese rule in the Second World War, Uh, more specifically in Japan itself. Japan, as it is well known, was allied to Nazi Germany, and yet it was uh, the, one of the few countries, let alone those aligned with Nazi Germany, that allowed Jewish immigration in those critical years. Uh, it was not too friendly towards Jews, but not, we should say to their credit that no one in the was particularly friendly towards the Jews at that time. Uh, and yet, so strikingly, for a country with such a profile, this immigration was permitted until probably the war broke out. Uh, and I should have, you know, even though there was ghetto in later on in Far East, in Shanghai, and anywhere in in, in the areas dominated by the Japanese. So a very complex story, I like such complex complex stories. Uh, and uh, Jews had their own reservations about uh, going to Japan because, you know, there was historical no Jewish presence there, and still this is, I would say, in terms of research, uh, this is a very promising story, and I already have some uh, some uh, revelations there, and ho- ho- I hope to you know to uh, to continue working in this direction because you know it is uh, even though great scholars uh, are producing important uh, cutting edge research in this area now, still there is much uh left to be done and i hope to you know to make my modest contribution
1: in this field too it sounds fascinating and extremely important so i wish you only best of luck in continuing that research and making progress in that research and growing in that research it will make a tremendous contribution to knowledge once it is ready and complete
0: thank you very much for this fascinating opportunity to share uh, my, my ideas with your audience. Uh, it is a great project, thank you very much.
1: It was my pleasure and my honor. Thank you for your eloquent, generous, and erudite responses.
0: Thank you so much.
1: As we bring our dialogue today to a close, I am your host on the New Books Network, Ari Barbalat. Today I have been in dialogue with Dr. Kirill Pfefferman. He is senior lecturer in the Department of Jewish History at Ariel University. We have been discussing his book, The Holocaust in the Crimea and the North Caucasus, published in Jerusalem by Yad Vashem Publications, 2016. Thank you.